0: What's
1: up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for joining us for Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by Jeff Trotter from Regenibus. We're going to be discussing the environmental impacts of cannabis farming, the different differences between regenerative and sustainable farming, and the policies we need to put in place to ensure we're keeping the environment in mind as we legalize. So let's just get right into it. Hey, Tom. Hey, Jeff.
2: Hey there.
3: Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for having us on. On our Sunday show, we like to discuss activism. So, you know, big likes and thumbs up for all the activists that are, are tuning in. And, and we're going to be dis- discussing Regenerbis. Is that how they pronounce uh, the company or how does your company pronounce? and what is it?
2: That's it. Regenerbis. You're absolutely right. And we are a, uh, almost a year old. We're uh, uh, an advisory uh, convening and investment firm, professional firm that is really centered in the cannabis industry and really helping the cannabis industry to grow up and become a better version of the one that possibly is already out the gate. And uh, what do we mean by that? Well, we help organizations think through not only delivering an economic upside, of course, we all wanna see startups and scale ups win, but we wanna make sure that they're also thinking of an environmental impact as well as a social impact, uh, what we sometimes and others refer to as a triple bottom line. Uh, impact and one that is clearly better for for the planet, better for humanity, and for those who are investing in that organization, of course, it's better for them too. Uh, that's, that's right. These- yeah, the uh,
3: the cannabis plant has uh, paid a lot of dues when it comes to uh, being a tax on the energy infrastructure that's out there. Simply, and I, I think a lot of that's a byproduct of the prohibition in and of itself because it forced them to create these high. Well, now they're high tech, but back in the day. They were indoor farms and those Mm -hmm. indoor farms would take a lot of power because you have to keep the climate and especially the ones coming out of like Canada, like, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, So what types of things can uh, growers do to help minimize their carbon footprint when they are uh,
2: constructing
3: their facilities?
2: Well, there's a many, many things they can do both from an indoor grow, as well as an outdoor grow perspective. And um, when we are, you know, uh, passing on this kind of advice to organisations, of course, what we're trying to do is to frame the the upside from uh, a sustainable development perspective. So I just wanted to sort of just mention that before we dive in. So one of the things that we we uh, look at is, you know, as you've indicated, where are the environmental challenges okay. facing? Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Tom? okay more of those
3: technical difficulties happening um i can't hear let me see if i can figure out a way to get audio
2: okay um
1: while tom's figuring out his audio uh continue about how growers can reduce their carbon footprint
2: yeah thanks lauren uh, so, yeah, what we, we see a, 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 a movement that's required in, in the cannabis and hemp industries uh, when it comes to both indoor and outdoor grow, one that is a, is a migration to what we call regenerative agriculture. And, and so this movement around regenerative agriculture is one that replaces the existing, some of, you know, clearly toxic uh agricultural background is one that is focused very much on monocrops it's focused much on demanding and, and putting excess stresses on the land whether ex- external grow or, or even internal, in, indoor grow and as tom said you know we're seeing tremendous uh, impacts from a, an energy uh, uh, perspective uh, and so the the carbon footprint of indoor grows is challenging. And I think it's one that needs to be challenged. And so one of the things that we should look at is, let's look at the, the, the heating, uh, as well as the lighting, there's clearly a sufficient technology that's, that's available to us now to ensure that um, we are seeing as a decreasing impact on the environment as a result of using better lighting. Uh, and and better heating, including, of course, also air conditioning, which is sometimes required, it depends on the time of the year uh, for the indoor grow. So we we look at aspects like that. Uh, We also want to make sure, of course, that certainly from an an outdoor grow too, that we're looking at uh, a decrease in the amount of mechanization and also chemicals in the supply chain. So we want to look at at a more sort of natural grow Uh, And so those are some of the things that we advocate. And you could almost say that we activate on.
1: Okay, cool. I'm not really familiar with the term regenerative. So what's the difference between regenerative and sustainability?
2: That's a great question. Um, You know, I think there are are a number of organizations that are now beginning to uh, vocalize this. The way we look at it at Regeneriverse is we kind of look at regenerative growth and regenerative industries as almost like sustainability 3.0. So it's you know sustainability has been great uh, and it has helped we think not just the cannabis and hemp industries but other industries begin to think about the impacts of their own you know uh, their own um, production and or processes that they're using and the impact then that this has uh, on on the environment um but all we're really doing if we're brutally honest about sustainability is is just getting us back to a a, a, a sort of a, a level set for for want of a term regenerative uh and regenerative agriculture and regenerative other industries and we could speak a little bit more of that later what we're looking at there is is way beyond just getting us back to where we used to be we're now looking at at uh you know really embracing and enveloping uh, all, all matters around uh, a, a circular economy and, and ensuring then that we're also not putting uh, you know people talk about recycling as as a as a a, a key piece of what's been happening in the um, in the sustainability world but frankly again you know, it's not enough for us to be recycling, especially when it comes to, for example, you know, a plastic or uh, petrochemical-based uh, materials. If we continue just to recycle those, the, we're not going to be doing uh, a, um, ourselves any favors in the longer term.
3: Well, thank you so much. Um, can you hear me? I can. Oh, I can hear you. swell. And joining us also is Miggy four uh, twenty. Thanks for joining us, Miggy.
4: Hey, I just want to say hi. I only got a couple minutes. I'm still driving in between. Uh, uh, I'm in Idaho still, prohibition state. But uh, uh, it's been it's been quite the journey, and I'm going to put a blog article in the uh, CLN soon.
3: Oh, oh, yeah. excellent! Yeah, we have a new website that we launched, Jeff, called CanvasLegalizationNews.com. dot com. And yep. so Miggy is picking up his uh, his kid from college and uh, is calling from the prohibition state. So. Wow. Uh, th- thanks, Miggy, for, for dialing in. And what's the uh, article going to be about?
4: Well, you know, just talking about how uh, South Dakota, which was uh, I purposely drove to there for uh, uh, to give my dollar through there, you know, because now they're a medical and recreational state. So, you know, I think the power of legalization will, uh, you know, it's tourism. You know, if you legal, if a state legalizes it, there's a reason people will purposely come to you. Right. If you build it, they will come. So I want to talk about that. And then we uh, drove to Michigan or I mean, uh, 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 Montana, Montana. Uh, nothing exciting. Just just comparison of how it used to be to now. I, mean, I made this trip. This is my third time now picking up my son in college. You know, the lazy stoner we all are. So uh, uh, it's been a great little journey. And I can't wait to, to share with everybody. Awesome.
3: Well, you're you're going to miss a very exciting episode discussing sustainability in cannabis. We were just about to dive into plastics and how cannabis can make plastics more sustainable.
4: No, I'm really sad. I'm going to miss this one because you know it's my pet peeve. We have excess uh, packaging, which is ridiculous, and I think everything should be made out of hemp. So I'm really thankful for Genovis and your conversation you guys are having today. I think that's going to be great.
2: Great. Well, it's great to meet you, Miggy. I'm sh- um, it's a great shame that you couldn't join the rest of the conversation, but you look freezing, uh, I have to say.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, It's a little cold. There's snow out here. So uh appreciate you guys, and then I'll talk you guys later, man. Drive safe. Uh, you Thank are. you, man.
3: Take care. So fortunately, the technical difficulties that I've been having, uh, even before, like when we were in the green room, that's why we were a little late on the program. I think I've mostly got those taken care of provided that I don't move or no black cats cross my path or nothing. Um, so, uh, Jeff, before I, I, I was lost to the technical difficulties, uh, what was the uh, issue with the, the plastics that you were bringing up uh, and, and how hemp or, or, or cannabis can address those?
2: Yeah, well, what I was uh, referencing, of course, was just the recyclability of petroleum-based you know, plastics. Uh, the the longer we continue to recycle those plastics the, the the more degradation there will be of for those plastics uh and ultimately for the planet i mean ultimately what we need to do is to wean ourselves off petroleum based plastics which yes is a Bit of a contentious statement to make because, of course, it'll set up all sorts of protection you know, that goes on across uh, that particular industry, the, you know, the plastics uh, development industry.
3: But how large well, is the plastics development industry in the panoply of industries that are ripe for disruption, especially in the 21st century? I see that one as kind of like right there, square in the crosshairs. Because how many companies are making petrochemical cl- pl- plastic? Is it like four?
2: oh no 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 i mean there's there's still you know it, it it's it's hundreds of companies that are now in you know still producing uh, plastics and, and petroleum based plastic materials um, there the, the challenge that we have is that fundamentally the the industry that drives the plastic packaging industry is the petrochemical industry which of course is heavily subsidized and you know, we have lobbyists in D.C. that are making sure that it'll either stay that way or it will very slowly change. Um, there's there's yeah. no urgency from their perspective. There is an urgency from a planetary perspective because, of course, the op, the, the all of the outputs of, of plastics are a huge detriment to to the planet. So the opportunity, frankly, from a hemp perspective and, you know, look, speaking of hemp, the plant is that, uh, of course, now that in in the United States, that it is federally legalized and we now begin to see movement in, so in the EU, just in the last,
3: uh, last weeks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So now we're seeing the potential, certainly the, the, the platform for potential for hemp to really be a massive component in the disruption of the petrochemical industry. Uh, when and I think it's
3: going to be plastics, the genetics and the processes. And so mm-hmm. we need to make sure that the genetics for hemp plastics are completely on point and those are going to be patented and protected. But then mm-hmm. more than the genetics, there's going to be a method and a procedure probably from like the time the seeds popped or the clones planted uh, mm-hmm. through uh, that, that finished hemp plastic uh, product shipping off the line. There is so much um, fertile growth of, IP in that, but mm-hmm. I could see the the capital expenditure and investment being pretty massive. I mean, if I was a, yeah. a cannabis concern and and I was throwing off a lot of cash flows, it depends. Like because like a lot of the cannabis industry uses a corporate stri- style structure where they're you know always raising money. Um, that doesn't necessarily wean yourself towards uh, large capex that might not take you know three five ten years before it starts really paying dividends.
2: Right. Well, I yeah. mean, that's I, actually that's. I mean, it's great that you introduce the, the world of finance into this conversation because
3: it's it, what we do here at Cannabis Legalization <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, as Sally, I, I often say, you know, as Sally Bowles would say, "Money makes the world go around," and I think as much as we want to move from, and certainly at Regenibus, uh, we're you know advocating for a move from a multi, a, a sort of a, a single, you know, monocapital approach to the cannabis industry to a multi-capital approach, and by that we mean. The, where the 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 monies are coming from that are investing in the cannabis industry. So we, you know, generally speaking, as as you're you're very aware, and I'm sure most of your listeners are, the capital markets, private equity space, and the venture capital space is typically up until now where most of the monies have been coming from in order to get this industry up and running and off the ground. And it, and you could argue that some of the behaviors of some of those investors hasn't exactly been stellar behavior. What we're looking at is is through our advisory and our convening and as well as our investing, we sometimes reference this as you know, uh, smart ideas, smart people, smart money. And the investor world that we're really targeting and, and speaking to are the impact investor world and family offices, and family offices typically in, increasingly are impact investors. And the difference here is that the, you know when you, when you reference sort of large capex cap ex expenditures over a period of time, that actually the impact investor world and the family office world that is a, a component of that, is very much aligned to that longer term view and that longer term perspective. So the, the, the more we bring that smart money into this industry, the better off we will be because they will then be looking at not only an economic, upside as are other investors, whether it's capital markets, private equity, venture capitals, whatever. They're looking for that, but they're also looking for an environmental impact and a social impact. And the environmental impact is what they're essentially funding. They're funding the opportunity for these companies as they grow to be sure that the processes that they're using, whether it's the growth side, the extractor side, the distribution side, no matter where you are in the cannabis and hemp industry.
3: Then there's a lot of IP that needs to be stressed because there's a lot of these, these uh, smaller uh, funds that, you know, families uh, put together where they're more Mm -hmm. like, um, what do they call them? Foundations. And so like they, they do have more of a charitable purpose, even though they might still be about, you know, protecting the corpus or, uh, you know, growing the business. And, and that opportunity then is really there because those, those types of technologies that they could seed and then eventually patent and then market. That upside is long and and it could be quite lucrative, but then it has that, that, uh, that added social beneficial impact which is so present in, or prescient in uh, cannabis these days, the social equity and the diversity plans, especially like in the Illinois uh, cannabis version, were f- it, it depends on what application license you were looking at, but uh, they counted for points. And if you're mm-hmm. trying to get perfect, you need to have those points as well. And there's methods that you can structure your corporate entity, or, or the contracts that you have, or the benefits package that your your company has, even with the community. Um, mm-hmm. In such a way that you can kind of return uh, benefits, and it's it's a fascinating industry that it's growing that fast and it's that uh, conscientious.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also just to speak to the the, the very clear uh, uh, difference between uh, you know a money group that is a foundation uh, versus an impact investor. A foundation typically is granting money, in other words, it's it's donating money for a particular cause or for some, uh, some more purpose. complete charity yeah exactly right and they will not see that money again uh they they will hopefully see the impact that that money is, that, that charitable grant is providing mm-hmm. um the difference in the impact investor world is that they're absolutely they're, they're investors they fundamentally want an economic return but they also seek an econ- you know an environmental upside as it's well it's about more the than
3: the upside. money I mean, More the money wasn't enough for them. They they, they like the yeah. money, which is nice. We yeah. want to put it to work, but we want yeah. to put it to work for good things. Yeah.
2: yeah, And I think what we're seeing increasingly through the conversations that we're having with the, the, the impact investor community and family office world is that, you know, they're seeking uh, – legacy to their investments too. So what they want to do is they want to place this money into organizations where they know that there will be that economic return, the environmental upside and the social upside too. What this is really doing is fueling the growth of a nascent industry, cannabis and hemp, right across whether it's it's uh, recreational, whether it's medical or it's hemp in, a, in, its, in the broadest sense. It's a, big, what, it's a
3: big plant, and that's one it, of the it, things. Like there's verticals yeah. within the plant, you know?
2: For sure. Yeah. In fact, what, so the two things that we're looking at here, and I think that this is the difference also between impact investors and, and family offices, is they're thinking a little bit more systemically, more holistically. So they're looking beyond just this investment, which is typically what happens in the private equity world and the venture capital world what kind of return can we get as soon as possible, etc. What we're seeing is, with this smart money is not only are they looking at how that money is then going to grow this nascent industry, they recognize that it will impact other industries, as we've already mentioned, uh, you know, and I've, I've, I've said before, and I we recognize that not only will the, can, the, the cannabis and hemp industries grow themselves, they will impact the food industry, the fuel industry, the fiber industry, meaning fibers that will go into packaging and or into hempcrete, etc. They will impact pharma, which is a kind of an F, it's, you know, if you the pharma play, it will for sure impact finance, because as soon as or pretty soon after the, the Safe Banking Act is passed in the United States, on the back of full federalized federalization and uh, federal legalization you this will it's a game changer oh no, the regulations industries. are just
3: beginning like yeah people are like oh legalization is like the finish line it's like no bro uh, let me tell you what happens after a state legalizes it then they got to figure out what the heck they're regulating it's yeah. gonna be all sorts of uh, new rules and procedures and crap that yeah. just made up
2: yeah. And I think that's what also makes this terribly exciting. I think it's 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 what helps people begin to understand that truly this is a game changer for other industries. But we also recognize that other industries have a legacy themselves, that they will not necessarily be giving up terribly easily. And that's, that's typically how you know the lobby system works. What we need to be doing is ensuring that the cannabis and hemp industries have as deep a pocket of as other industries from a lobby perspective, because it, the lobby system isn't going to go away. It should, but it's not. And so we have to be somewhat pragmatic about that. Uh, and, and we just have to make sure then that the lobby system as it, as it, as it pertains to the cannabis and hemp industries in the United States are, are as powerful. And I think that's, that's critical also for then the, the impact that ultimately these other industries, as they are disrupted, and impacted by hemp, we are going to see uh, some solutions to some of humanity's biggest challenges. And you know that's again part of uh, what we do at Regenibus is is to align all of the things that we do, the services we offer, to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. You know that goals sounds that will drive a significant change for humanity. Where are you guys located? San Francisco. You know that
3: sounds like a lot of impact funds would be. Uh, centered there for for fairly obvious reasons. There's a lot of money and tech money and intellectual capital type money in the San Francisco area.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly south of here, um, you know, in Silicon Valley. Um, it's not the only, uh, I wouldn't say it's the only, I mean, the East Coast, certainly Boston area also has a significant number of, of families and of course New York, impact investors and and family offices?
3: I don't think it's that widely known yet. But I think the impact investment, especially at the family type level. uh, Now, what is a family fund? I mean, I I realize this is a family Mm -hmm. cannabis policy program that people like to tune into. But uh, while they really dig on the plant, they might not know what a family fund is. So I I think uh, an accredited investor was just updated with its uh, definition this past August. And they made reference to this family fund. Uh, in their um, new definition so uh can you uh, please explain to us what is a family fund
2: yeah so a family office uh, A family yeah, office yeah family office uh, and there are roughly in you know seven and a half maybe eight thousand family offices now to be a family office you need minimum of fifty million dollars to you know to to play with so to speak fifty million bucks 50, five zero exactly That's But right. most family offices are Way, way, way more than that, um, and significantly more. In- increasingly, family offices, and, and to be clear, it's not a family sitting around a dining table saying, "Hey, what should we do with this wealth?" Guys, is, we got the $50 is, million dollars for the yeah, family. Yeah, it's professionally managed. You know, yeah. I mean, there there are uh, fund guys who have been, and I use that as an Americanism, boys and girls playing uh, in this role of managing that family's fund. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking at is is different areas, just like uh, any other investor, they have certain areas that they wish to invest in. But they for sure want to look beyond that economic return. They're typically looking to make sure that there is some social upside as well as an environmental upside. And some of the biggest families in the world now, they operate as what we, we reference as a single family office. But there are many that, that if you like, join their forces together and become a multi-family office uh, a group.
3: Um, but these now families, the multi-family offices can yeah. we have like quarter billion then under management or or what are our what are our capital? Oh limits? yes, I for mean. sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, and it, yeah, that's so. This is and and then just to put all of this into context, in two thousand eighteen, uh, if we look at forty-eight trillion dollars. That's a lot of zeros. It's a lot of trillion. money. It's a it's lot, a lot, of, lot money. of money. $48 yeah. trillion dollars of professionally managed money. So that's, that's basically the size of the pot in the United States, 2018. That's more than the national budget. It's phenomenally big. That's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Back in 2018, uh, one in four of those dollars. So that's $12 trillion was actually going into sustainable, responsible impact investing, SRI investing.
3: Is that it going up?
2: $4. It has gone up. And a is there report, any certification
3: like, that says what that constitutes? Cause I might start something and it might be called like good time, amazing family industries. <laughs> and, uh, it will, it'll be about, you know, helping people and, and still making money. Uh, and, and then I will make sure that my PPM is registered with the sec. Uh, and I'll have yeah. a really stellar pitch deck, and then I can just go uh, peddle these wares to a family fund and try to get ten million dollars. Yeah, it typically
2: doesn't work that way. Uh, the the family office world and the impact office impact investment world is uh, is not one that you can go to. Ooh. They come to you. It's uh, oh <laughs> right yeah. It's, it's that is like, exclusive. Yeah, Yeah. it's a little bit like the the good old times of the big foundations. You know, there was a time and a place to be asking, but you could not just blindly drop a note to them and say, "Hey, I'm doing this. It's going to save the world. Can you give me fifty thousand dollars?" You know, up your ass, man. (laughs) If you're saving the world, that's worth (laughs) at least fifty million. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 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 That was typically the response, if there was a response. Really, that's. Um, yeah i know that that's, that's, that's fascinating
3: and so because like there's so much op- opportunity for the cannabis industry yeah b- from the way that the the regulation already is i know that there's going yeah. to be uh, social equity operations in the state right. of illinois i don't know how popular this concept is in the city of chicago uh or or in the state or wherever the investors may come in from but yeah. um uh, those types of missions are you seeing that being something that um uh, can we uh, securitize that? You know, is that something that we can like, you know, package or, or, or how are people finding uh, these types of companies to invest in?
2: Well, I mean, you, you mean for family offices or impact investors into these? For companies? the
3: impact investors. How do the impact? Well, yeah. you said they come to you. But then what are some typical uh, or some some novel concepts of impact investment that you could see in the cannabis space?
2: Oh, I think there is, uh, we're already seeing it We're we're seeing uh, impact investors that are very excited around technology uh, enablement. And we referenced very early in the show, uh, indoor grow, if mm-hmm. we look at some of the technologies that are pervasive in indoor grow, and we mentioned lighting, the opportunity to look at, uh, at already prevalent technologies, but then adapting and adopting them into an indoor growth space, that's great we should also look at other technologies like um, nanotechnology around filtration. Uh, if you can use nanotechnology to filter water from an indoor grow, that enables you to take out the toxins from that growth process and to deal with them appropriately, but then also to recycle now that, that clean, usable water, I mean, that technology is is out there. It's it's already been used in space stations. So the looking to adapt and adopt those technologies is, is certainly something that family offices and impact investors are looking at because it's it's an applicable uh, already existing solution that is uh, that is ready to rock into the cannabis and hemp industries. So and there is one, so much of
3: that, I mean, because so the, the industry has changed so much in the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So the methods and the, and the procedures that we're the, the they're going to be using in another ten years for premium indoor flowers,
2: no idea. Like some of those yeah. may not even exist yet, for sure. And I think that's also where again there's an, uh, there's an appetite from longer term in, investment thinking. So typically, this is again back in the realm of impact investors and 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 that cohort because they're looking at the longer term play. They're not looking. At the come on guys we've got to get this quick you know this quarter times we got yeah that's it and and you know in the capital markets you see all that's all that's going wrong you when you have some of the biggest cannabis companies in the world north of the border writing down 1.3 billion. billion i mean like it's $1. just, just complete quarter, loss I thought, I, what it's going yeah. on and it's so that's gross. part of what we're looking at is how do we bring this smart money thinking into the longer term play so it's not anymore like the, the green rush, which is akin to the gold rush, it, it, it's a longer-term play that also begins to address how we can solve for some of, some of humanity's biggest challenges uh, that are that, you know, referenced in the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So and, and the, you know,
3: the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, is that uh, something that you have at Regenibus? Is that one of your, your pillars well, or your, your uh, it, I mean, cultural it, things?
2: Yeah, these are the goals that were formulated by the United Nations back in 2015. They came live in September 2016. They replaced the, the prior millennial de- Millennium Development Goals. The Sustainable Development Goals, there are 17 of them. There is 169 targets, 240 plus indicators. If you look on the UN site, uh, I would just you know do a Google, you know, SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, UN goals. You will see, and there's some wonderful graphics that show these 17 goals that speak to, you know, eradicating hunger, um, eradicating poverty, looking at gender equality, looking at reducing inequalities. There you go. Perfect. Nice. Where'd you find that? There you go. Um, it's
3: from. Our it, it, website, from it's cut in. Yeah, that's right. There's trade dress, and then of course it's yeah. we're we're a live YouTube and also an audio <laughs> program. So the 17 right. goals. Uh, no poverty is number one. Number yeah. two, zero hunger. I mean, who can't be behind these? I mean, it's and then they go on uh, yeah. all, all throughout the 17. I, I can't read very well. My, yeah. my technical setup is not what it used to be, right. but um, uh, fascinating. And they, these types of goals have been put forth by the UN. And these are the types of goals very often that the uh, impact investment community are, are considering when they're uh, making an outlay.
2: Exactly. And so one of the things just to sort of bring that into uh, perspective, you know, increasingly uh, cannabis startup and scale up companies, are, you know, we've met many, myself uh, and, and Patrick at, uh, at, as, a, as another co-founder at Regenibus, we see a number of, of startup and scale up cannabis companies where leadership are clearly thinking longer term. They're aware of the environmental impact they could create and how then they should offset that in all of the things they're doing. And we've been heartened just in this last year, even though we haven't been able to get out and about, we have seen many, many companies that are beginning to think of the, their, you know, what is becoming their imperative to make sure that they're doing no further harm to the environment, that they're delivering some social upside and making sure then that they're also returning on an investment to their investor community. And one of the ways that this is beginning to happen, which and it already has been happening in other industries, is through something called an ESG lens, an environmental social govern, governance lens. And what's in, what's interesting here is from a, a corporate perspective or a company perspective, if you begin to uh, focus your strategy, your operations and your financial day to day, you know, business around your in, what is what you can do around the environment, social impact as well as governance, then not only will you operate better, you'll become a smarter organization. What's also happening is that the investor community, certainly the smart money investors that, that we're uh, speaking with, they're looking for this because they see that then as an organization that is is clearly thinking about risk mitigation. And that is fundamentally from an investor perspective what they want to see. So when they see companies like that doing that and they're aware of the environmental social impact, then those investors are more inclined to want to invest in those when it goes to growth phase, beyond growth phase, series C, pre-IPO or pre-liquid event that might be an acquisition or whatever. Yeah, there's so a lot of ways companies of, can evolve.
3: It's, yeah. It's it's interesting and it's it's uh, good that they're actually starting to have these types of discussions when it comes to the yeah. industry, uh, and yeah. it's and it's everywhere. I mean, you you yeah. do see it. People are trying to do the right things. Yeah. and, well, and, and now to, that and it's getting into capitalism. That. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and to speak to that too, as you said earlier, you know, as you were waxing lyrical mm-hmm. thinking about your own fund that you might create. Sure. You know, and puppies and, and rainbows, unicorn, <laughs> awesome fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or canicorns as we call them. Canicorns, uh, uh, right. Ultimately, what we are, are, are you know, also saying is that doing good and making money are no longer mutually exclusive, if they ever were. But in some people's minds, that construct is, is just, or you either do good or you make money. And, yeah. and we're saying that's, that's not the case. You no. can do both. And there are many, many organizations out there, both outside and inside the cannabis and hemp industries, that are doing that and demonstrating that and the returns for their investors are, are far greater than those for organizations of a similar kind of, organi- similar kind of company that are not doing that. That evidence is already out there, the, that, that business case is already being created. I don't know, so, I mean like I,
1: I,
3: I do it with myself, my own company, uh, it's wind powered because now like in, in the state that I live at, you can buy uh, whatever energy credits from where it arose from, it be like, oh, so it's wind power. neat. Yeah. so now when i see like you know the, the, those windmills uh when i'm driving in the middle of nowhere and you don't even have to drive anymore but uh, this yeah. covet stuff everywhere
2: out there uh yeah. i'm like oh that's that's powering my uh my office yeah yeah absolutely and you know we're um uh say fairly young organization we're we're very fortunate and, and blessed to have uh, we've amassed already a, a a 10 strong advisory board of of you know some Great names within the industry, but also some outside of the industry. Uh, you know, Bob Hoban from Hoban Law Group recently joined our advisory group, advisory board. Shanita Penny from Budding Solutions, Christine De La Rosa, who's doing some great things with the People's Dispensary and some other businesses that she's looking to build out. Um, Andrew D'Angelo is, uh, is on our advisory board, and Cece Zach. Uh, CC was uh, formerly with Gateway Proven Strategies, um, so she has a, a, a tremendous background of working in the hemp industry. There's a whole bunch of guys who are not from the cannabis and hemp industries, but are bringing their smarts into the industry from a sustainability communications perspective, or you know, convening power, as well as investors. Uh, one group we work with, uh, Medicus, uh, mm-hmm. Kelly Seringer, she recently, recently joined our advisory board, I mean, her Medicus fund, which is born out of a, a, a bigger fund uh, symmetry. Medicus is is very much looking at uh, private debt into startups and scale ups in the cannabis space. But they will not invest unless there is very clearly an ESG play in that company. And they, they, they're, so they're looking at how are we working with those companies to help them develop their frameworks around environmental social governance. So that's that's great that these organisations are beginning to think like that because that is shaping a different version of the industry that, that we are that we are currently blessed with or not blessed with.
3: Well, case. I mean, it, it's it's a couple of interesting points. Like a lot of people that are you know putting together their own companies that they have. Uh, do you recommend people to have an advisory board if they are going to try to be a cannabis operator in their particular state?
2: Yeah, I think they. I mean, I think they both need an advisory board as well as a board. I mean, a, you know, a corporate board. Like a corporate they, board, yes. Yeah, um, and the sooner they're thinking about that, the better. Uh, you know, again, uh, and, and they should be for sure very clear about the composition of board, uh, both from a diversity, equity, and inclusiveness perspective, but also are those persons on your board, are they also really championing environmental issues and social issues so they can keep you very much on the straight and narrow, but do those board members also have connections into the impact investor uh, world? And those are the, the sort of stellar uh, board, corporate board members that, that um, we're also helping some, some of our uh, companies that we advise we're helping them frame that, and helping. Them that's find that's
3: really opinion. important because they when the I deal with a lot of the ones on the very startup front edge, where they're still concerned about licensing more than they're concerned about like what they're actually getting themselves into. And I'm like, well, who's mm-hmm. on your team? Well, you yeah. see, but like all these people have networks, right. and and that's why you've brought them all together. And then cannabis is a very local ne- enterprise. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. seems to think that they can become this monolithic. Um, big bud or, or or whatever of cannabis that's going to be traded and it's going to be model you know it's gonna it's gonna own the market share, but right. then you see like how the licenses are actually handed out and they're they're quite locally controlled and regulated and then they have uh, residency requirements and all sorts of things and compliance issues that makes that type of scaling quite difficult and so I always kind of you know caution them about well you've mentioned you and you've mentioned that person and some other guy. <laughs> Well, that's, that's not filling up your bus. You know, you have to, there's, there's a team of people that you need and that's how you actually are going to be able to go out there and get into that operation. So, uh, I, sure. I think that it's and, really interesting that the, the board is important, not just for cannabis, but for yeah. other companies. Cause I, I mean, Regenibus yeah. is a, um, you, you don't touch any licenses directly, do you? Are you more of an no, answer? It? Not at all. Yeah. We,
2: we don't. Uh, I mean, just to also speak, uh, before, well, to answer that question, no, we don't. Um, but what we do is we help organizations think through uh, from a licensing perspective, state by state, which therein again uncovers one of the biggest challenges in in the industry in the United States. That you know it, it's different across from state to state to state, and not just the licensing, but also the various aspects of the industry. And that's something that we really need to get ahead of because yeah, you know, and you, that's you that's one of the fundamentally things fundamentally slow. The, we the need to put a we need to put a
3: board of standardizations together in prep, because like I said, like this, this legalization is on a finish line. They are going to want to get their beak wet at the federal level. Yeah. And then there should yeah. be some type of standardization so that uh, the regulatory process, because it's it's all going to be tracked. It's all going to be mm-hmm. seed to sale with uh, yeah. the adult use, the adult use market. I mean, the hams and all the others. I mean, I don't think they're going to be tracking like the, the plastic making cannabis, but still. Mm-hmm. Um uh, because of that, you know it would be great if there were certain standardizations for compliance with licenses to streamline the operations uh, but that gets into legislation that might be pretty pretty brick thick you know
2: yeah well I think it would be uh, and I love the term that you used, you know we were talking about prescience I think it's critical that this new inbound government here in the United States really put some effort into what that should look like. It's one thing to have an eye on legalizing cannabis federally. It's another to really build out the regulatory frameworks federally uh, to ensure that fair practices are in place, that this is not, uh, uh, And so one of the things I, I know that, you know, at Regenibus, we we actually created a, a cannabis legalization uh, statement And part of that was around, you know, once you've, you know, beyond legalization, there's still a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done in order to make sure that there is what we call regenerative growth for all in the cannabis industry, including those whose shoulders this nascent industry was built on. And I'm not just talking about, you know, black, Latinx, Asian, minority, ethnics. We're also looking at indigenous populations in, you know, both here in, in the United States as well as in Canada, we, we really need to be sure that they are protected in terms of the land that they have and, and we don't end up with some sort of, you know, neo-colonial land grab coming from big ag. We have to be certain that that uh, there is a uh, an, an equitable growth for all, regenerative, growth for all in the cannabis industry. And that's part of what we're setting out to achieve, and we are achieving at, at Regenibus.
1: Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find, follow, what you guys got going on at Regenibus?
2: Uh, you can get us at Regenibus.com, so www.regenibus.com. And Regenibus is two words. It's it's a made up of regen, the first five letters of regenerative, and the last five letters of cannabis. Re- so it's Regenibus.com my name is jeff g-e-o-f-f dot trotter at regenibus.com awesome. and if you hashtag regenibus you'll find our twitter our instagram and our facebook pages as well as our linkedin pages too
1: cool Perfect. and before we go we wanted to shout out nicholas weidger he gave us five bucks on our youtube super sticker thank you so much portion of that Ooh. goes to the cannabis uh prisoners uh goes Try to their commissary. so thank you so much and thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like, subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks, Jeff.
2: Thank you very much. Take care.